0: Bob Judson, and you're listening to Leading for Life Stories. I'm delighted you're here, and I'm really glad to uh, to have you on my podcast. And I very, very much hope you enjoy it. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode two. And I'm absolutely delighted to uh, have you back on the podcast. I'm extremely grateful if this is the second one of these you'll be listening to uh, because that means you've come back and that's a real plus from my point of view. Uh, I'm hugely, hugely grateful. I'm particularly grateful actually to those of you that listened to episode one and took the time to provide me with some feedback. Trust me when I say that has been really noted uh, and I'm going to make really good use of it because uh, it's so important to to help and continue to get better. And I, I really do appreciate that. And I'm very grateful to each and every one of you that, uh, that took the time to do that. Uh, what I wanted to do this episode, though, is uh, do something slightly different. I really wanted to start off with why should you listen to me? Um, because I think it's important to kind of lay out why I think you might want to listen to me. But it's going to take me to the heart of the episode as well, because what I actually want to talk about this episode is credibility, self-awareness and imposter syndrome. Uh, but just before I get to that, I just want to talk briefly about how I'm going to structure the episodes going forward in the in the podcast more generally, because I'm going to have three types of episodes. Uh, the first type is really what you got last week. If you listen to uh, to episode one, it'll focus on my personal journey, the experiences I've gained along the way. And I'm not going to shy away from anything. I, I uh, As I di- did in episode one, I, I'm going to try and give you real insight into the challenges I faced and the things I've learned along the way. I'm sure you're going to be really pleased to hear that uh, the episodes won't progress in a sequential time sequence because with 40 years of career behind me and counting, I think that will be a bit dull and it'll take rather too long and, uh, and it'll probably have you unsubscribing before you could blink. Um, But I am going to dip in and out and and I'm going to skip back and forth across my career because I think there are some particular points and some particular stories that will actually be relevant and a lot of highlights in there that that I, I hope will be useful to you. Uh, there's also, thankfully, from my point of view, a rather smaller number of lows um, and things that haven't gone so well, and things that I think equally are, are valuable. And just, I'm going to try and get those out of my guests when I start doing guests more in a second. I will uh, will bring those out myself because I think they're they're really valuable to you. Hopefully, as a uh, as sort of a shared experience. So that's the first type of uh, of, of episode that I, you're going to see. You've had one of those and and many more to follow. Uh, the second type is is still going to be solo and it's going to be rather more thematic and, and that's where I'm going to go with this one. So these episodes will deeper dive into some specific leadership themes uh, such as the ones I'm going to cover today that I've already mentioned around credibility, self-awareness, imposter syndrome. I'm also going to talk about teamwork, dealing with adversity, communication, celebrating success, parity, briefing, personal resilience, those sort of things. So those are going to be themes that I'll pick up with as a, uh, as, a as a sequence, really, uh, when I go through the uh, the second type of episodes. And those have got plenty of personal stories as well, because there's lots of things in there that uh, that should, I hope, be entertaining on occasion, but certainly useful for you to to take away as examples of the kind of areas that I think it's useful to talk about in a, in a leadership context. And the third and final type of episode I'm going to have is guest interviews, and I've already got a long list of potential guests lined up. Uh, Not all of them know they're on the list as yet, so I'm hoping most of them will sign up because uh, they're people that I I know well and I think uh, uh, will actually be really good in terms of a story to tell and value to add to this kind of conversation. And the plan is to have a really broad spectrum of guests. I'm I'm by no means just going to have my former military buddies. Again, I'm sure you'll be very pleased to hear that, the, uh, although there will be some of those. And there's certainly going to be plenty of corporates, there'll be plenty of people from the public sector world, government world, politicians uh, are in there as well. And uh, across this sort of age spectrum and also experience spectrum, because I think there's plenty of opportunity to learn from people who are being led, as well as those who are actually already at the top of their game and, uh, and you know, have uh, been doing leadership for a, for a long period of time. And in each of those episodes, the plan is to have a conversation. It's going to be focused around some specific questions that will be sort of woven into that conversation that bring out the life lessons from the guest in a, in a kind of useful and an interesting way. And I think it's also appropriate, that given that actually some of those guests are operating at a really senior level, uh, then actually what I'm going to do is stray away from time to time from pure leadership and, and pick up on things that are their views around specific big uh, geopolitical issues challenges facing the world uh, as well as on their own own leadership experiences and actually bringing those their own experience to bear in terms of analyzing some of those problems that are out there because i think they bring a view that is uh, is useful and just informative and helps you know you as leaders uh, learn a little bit more about other perspectives and uh, and maybe get some different thoughts from uh, from different topics so let's go focus on sort of the main material for uh, for today. And, and as I said, I want this to be a bit thematic. And I, I want to talk about credibility. And then I want to talk about self-awareness. And I want to talk a bit about imposter syndrome uh, at the end. Because I think it's important. I think it's important for me to establish some credibility with you. And particularly kind of why I'm hoping you're going to be spending a chunk of time listening to me at uh, some appropriate point in your day. Uh, and, and I want to make it worth your while to do that. So I think it's it's worth me doing a quick whistle stop across my career in a way that I didn't really do last time. I talked about my background and and my education and, and getting into the air force and and that sort of starting element of the journey last time, which, which is, I think is going to get continued. It's definitely a uh, an area where there's lots of other stuff to uh, to bring out that I think will be useful to you. Uh, but at the same time, what I want to do is uh, you know is as I say, jump about a little bit and and pick out some highlights. So if I give you the the broad strokes of, uh, of what I've done, then hopefully that'll give you some better idea of why I'm doing the podcast at all and, and, and where I think I've got some value to add. So as I said, I joined the Air Force as an 18-year-old. I, I actually was a pilot for a long time. I flew for 14 years before I ended up doing a staff tour. Uh, I flew Jaguars predominantly uh, which is a single seat fighter bomber back in the uh, back in the day and out of service for quite some time now and I flew that in every role that it had I started out in the nuclear role so uh, literally on on quick reaction alert out in Germany in the Cold War which was pretty amazing actually I mean I I had an atom awesome bomb on the bottom of the aeroplane as a 21 year old when I was on quick reaction alert and it was a you know real weapon you know on standby to go and uh, effectively respond to uh, to a warsaw pact invasion into the west and and that was i mean i talk about a sense of responsibility being thrust on you at a relatively young age that was quite extraordinary But then I did uh, a lot of attack flying as well, so uh, bombing, if you like, uh, and training to do that. And I did an awful lot of reconnaissance flying. And in fact, the the reconnaissance flying was the main thing I did operationally. So uh, as I moved back from Germany to to the UK in the early 90s, then uh, I did a lot of operational flying over Iraq between the Gulf Wars. And that, that was my mainstay. I didn't do... Didn't actually participate in either Gulf War One or Gulf War II, just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, if you like, for each of those. And all the operational flying I did was reconnaissance. I did some close air support work over Bosnia, so some uh, uh, some carriage of weapons, but we didn't actually drop anything on any of the missions I was on, although there were other missions where uh, where weapons were uh, were employed. But a big chunk of operational flying... Up to and including being a squadron commander of a uh, of a Jaguar squadron, so running uh, running the unit with obviously a group of pilots and a uh, and a much bigger group of engineers looking after the entirety of, a, of an RAF frontline squadron. I went on. I became a station commander. I commanded RAF Coningsby in Lincolnshire, and I was the uh, the first guy uh, that was doing that with the Typhoon when we had uh, the Eurofighter Typhoon on the base, and we built the capability uh, during my time, my two years in command from nothing where we actually literally didn't have any airplanes uh, at all, up to being very close to the Quick Reaction Alert Air Defence Declaration, you all have seen. Forgive me for those of you who are really, really familiar with this, but those less so. You know, you'll see quite regularly people talking about um, scrambles of aircraft to go and intercept either uh, Russian aircraft or, uh, or indeed airliners that have uh, strayed off track or uh, lost communication or whatever. That's the the air defence role that uh, that I was steeped in for uh, for quite a long time at uh, Coningsby, which was a complete change. So you uh, took over a different role. At a, at a quite, a, quite a relatively advanced stage of my uh, my flying career. During that time, I had, had the real, real privilege as well of, of flying for a couple of years on the Battle of Britain Memorial flight. So I flew the Spitfires and the Hurricanes of the Battle of Britain Memorial flight, which anybody that's been anywhere near aeroplanes, I think if you're a pilot, flying a Spitfire is pretty much dreamland for uh, for most people. So to have the opportunity to do that for two years was quite extraordinary. And, and I, I will definitely come back and talk a bit more about that in, in some detail, because there's some things in there that I thought were just fabulous and and too good not to share in uh, in time, but that was the end of my flying career effectively as a station commander. You know, I didn't I, I didn't fly properly again after that. I flew a few backseat trips and uh, had some fun in some aeroplanes, but but by and large, my flying proper finished in 2006 when I and I handed over the reins at Coningsby, and I was still in the air force up until 2015. So over that time, I did a whole load of of increasingly senior roles. Um, By that stage, uh, an Air Commodore, just just after I left Coningsby as a a one-star general, if you like, I ran the targeting and information operations directorate in the uh, in the Ministry of Defense in London. I was the Chief of Defence Staff's liaison officer in the Pentagon for uh, for a 9-month period over in the United States and I ran the base at Kandahar in in Afghanistan uh, and that was huge. That was a 25,000 people, 170 airplane massive entity and there'll be lots of leadership lessons and things that I'll talk about from that because it was such a big big deal with Twenty nations and all the uh, all the challenges that uh, that went with that, and then uh, I, I got promoted and again to two star rank to air vice marshal, which is the final rank I had in the air force. And I did two other jobs. I was the assistant chief of defence staff operations in the ministry of defence, so essentially running, uh, co-running with a civil servant colleague, the operations directorate, looking after all operations that the UK military does at, at home and overseas. And I was there at a fascinating time because it was the Olympics during my watch. So uh, I was there from 2011 to 2013. Uh, And because we had the Olympics and all the very, if you're in the, in the UK, listening to this, you'll know the challenges that existed at the time with G4S, the security company that was meant to be looking after the Olympics in know, lock, stock and barrel, really, in terms of all the venue security and so on. And they, they dropped the ball bluntly. They just did not deliver what they were expected to deliver. Very public, very difficult for them, very embarrassing for them, and uh, and I was uh, the guy sitting opposite the CEO of G4S at the time in a meeting at the Home Office and the Olympic Security Board when uh, when he basically folded his arms, sat back in his chair, and said, "Yeah, there you go, MOD, it's yours, pretty much." Uh, and again, I'll talk more about that in in due time. And that was fascinating, and actually turned out to be the entry ticket, if you like, for for what I did subsequently to leave in the Air Force but I did a lot of other operational things I spent a lot of time in in the government's emergency machinery in Cobra and you know did some hostage rescue work briefed uh, right up to and including prime ministerial level not irregularly very very regular briefings at, uh, at cabinet minister level uh, and so the insight the opportunity to be working right at the top of government and and looking at you know what we did in terms of the proper provision of national security working not just with the military, but also with the security and intelligence agencies and all of the apparatus of, of security for the UK. That was, that was a real privilege and a and tremendously interesting time and, and helped me build, amongst other things, a really great network of people, some of whom I'm hoping you're going to hear on this podcast over, uh, over time as well as I uh, try and rope them in to, uh, to come and give back some of their experiences to you if I can persuade them to do that it was then time to leave i uh, i left in 2015 and the uh, and that whole transition journey is is the subject for sure of a uh, of a personal journey podcast in the future where i'll talk in much more detail about that But I went to Deloitte, joined Deloitte as a director in the resilience and crisis management part of the business. Loved it, had a great time, fantastic time. But again, another transition that I'll talk about later on, leaving that to then set up my own business and do what I'm doing now. Run my own company, which I've been doing for the last four and a half years, looking, doing a bit of consulting work for sure. And and quite a bit of that actually over the last three years, not least in COVID, where I was part of the COVID task force in the cabinet office as a contractor and uh, also starting to build and, and do more and more in this leadership space, uh, which has brought me to to the conversations that I'm now having with you on these podcasts. And so th- that journey is kind of continuing uh, because this is another, you know, developing chapter of uh, of where I've been. But what I'm trying to do by saying all of that is, is kind of set out a, this is the 40 year career that I have had from, starting as a as a young man, going to officer training at uh, Cramwell through to becoming an Air vice marshal, two-star general if you like and uh, and leaving that to go into the corporate world, build a completely different set of experiences and career uh, you know, career challenges, and then move to running my own uh, my own thing. So what what's what's the difference from where I started this conversation about why should you be listening to me? I don't want you to listen to me or follow me because you think I'm, you know, I've had all those experiences and you know, no more than I would expect people in leadership roles to follow me because I've got a bunch of experiences behind me. I think a background like the one I've had buys you some credibility. It buys you an entry ticket to the, to the conversation if you like a, a lot of the time, but Leadership is more than that. Leadership is about inspiration, uh, and credibility is only part of that equation. So, having a backdrop of experience that's relevant and qualifications and qualities and and you know time served, if you like, for a particular role, brings you to uh, you know to the table. But ultimately, if you're going to lead people from that table and get them to go and do other things, they've got to believe in you. They've got to believe in where you're taking them. They've got to believe that it's worth following you other than out of pure curiosity. And you've got to give them that reason to follow you or very quickly, they won't. Uh, and they will they might obey if they're in a pure uh, structure where you know there is very little choice for them, but they won't be really consenting proper uh, you know, proper followers and proper team members if you're not leading them well enough to actually give them the kind of faith that they need to be able to follow you. And having said all that, I totally get that in the, you know, if you look at it, the military is a great example. It's a very structured organization. It's got a very clear hierarchy and a reputation for very authoritarian or pretty authoritarian leadership anyway. And that's, you know, that's the reputation. The reality is different to that. Although... I mean, I have to say, I used to joke quite regularly to my teams that we were there to preserve democracy, not to practice it. But it is important to look at the different elements of the military and look at those kind of different leadership styles that potentially appertain there. And the reality is that servant leadership is key to military success, actually being part of a team where you are absolutely serving that team and they are following you because they believe in you and you're supporting them just as much as they're supporting you. That is crucial if you actually want to have success as a military leader. I'm going to talk a lot more about leadership styles in another episode because I think it's it's relevant. But there's no doubt that if you're flexing your style, whether it's transformational leadership, whether it's delegating style of leadership, whether it's authoritarian one day, whether it's servant leadership another day, those those things are all important and they all play a role definitely it's a uh, it's a factor in terms of establishing your own credentials as a uh, as a leader and as a, as i say credibility is an important part but it is only a part of that and i hope that that's that's useful in terms of setting out my my own thoughts on that anyway that brings me to self awareness because i think if you're looking at the whole issue of credibility and why should people follow you Then actually, self awareness is really, really important. If you lack it, you're really unlikely, I think, to ever be a truly effective leader because you need to be able to analyze how your actions and your behavior are being and will be perceived depending on what action you're going to take. You need to be able to think about what you've just what you're saying what you're doing what your body language looks like what your your attitude is to the people that are working around you and and make sure that they feel that they are actually in the right place with you and that if you can't understand yourself and be aware of yourself in terms of how that's coming over it's really really difficult to to lead well you've got to be in a position to analyze your actions and behavior think about that perception point. How's, how's what you're doing being perceived? Is the approach you're taking working? If it's not, what can you do to change it? What tools do you have in the bag? What other options have you got to turn around and try and do something different if it's not working and finding a different way to uh, to approach it? Importantly, though, and I think it is really important, don't don't ever try and be something you're not. If you know you're not capable of doing something in a particular way, don't try and fake it. Because in my experience, the concept of fake it till you make it does not apply in leadership. You will get found out. Uh, and when you get found out, it's going to be a pretty hard landing. And depending on what kind of thing you're leading people through, depends on whether that's just a kind of fiscal fiscal issue or a people issue or whatever in the military, of course. you know, If you were in a position where you went way out of your depth, then you potentially putting lives in danger. And so you never want to get to that point. You need to really think about where am I? What's my capability? How much have I got as and sort of in the locker as an option to, uh, to be able to, uh, to improve here. The next thing I, I really want to take on as part of this is imposter syndrome, because I think it's an important area and see. Along the journey that you you will all take and everybody takes as a leader, you you will make moves into roles and with promotions or even just into new roles without a promotion where everybody goes through a feeling of, why am I here? Am I actually good enough to do this? Do I have the skills? People looking at me asking that question themselves, and they wondering what on earth I've done to get this? And we've all been there. We've all been there looking at other people. And going, how on earth did they get that job? Equally, I think a lot of people do it themselves far more than perhaps you might realize if you're not somebody that does that a lot. But I think being reflective, being self-aware, you're inevitably going to be feeling a little bit of pressure when you go into a new role where you're having to feel your way. You're dealing almost invariably with people who will have a lot of experience in that role uh, and you're stepping in to go and lead them depending on exactly where you've come from and exactly how, he, how comfortable you are in that space will make a huge difference. But if I go right back to, uh, to when I was in flying training and, and I can vividly remember one of the things that happens mm-hmm. as a pilot is, is you go through flying training to the point that you get your wings and that's a really big deal because getting, you know, passing, the flying training courses to the point that actually you get your wings. It's at a different stage of the training process now to the, where it was when I went through. But being presented with your wings is a moment that you never forget. Uh, and one of the things that happens is you're physically presented with them, and obviously you, they then get stitched onto your uniform. And not just your kind of best uniform. If you're wearing your uh, your uh, what's called the number two uniform. Then the 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 pullover that goes with that has wings on it. Your flying suit has wings on it. And I, I think all of us were the same, that in in the first few weeks after you've actually put your wings on, you just catch yourself constantly looking down out of the, the bottom of your eye, as it were, down, because you can see that this white thing that's on the top of, what's on your jumper. And, and it, it was, I, I can still remember the feeling of, wow, how did this happen? How did I get to this point? I'm now a qualified RAF pilot. And and I think that's, that's kind of what I've been implying with a little bit with the, with the imposter syndrome bit. Because I've certainly had roles where I've stepped into it and I've thought, this is a big new deal. And dealing with people who've been here a long time, have got a lot of experience, and they're going to be looking at me to see what are you bringing? Are you, are you bringing something that we want that's going to be helpful? Or are you just going to turn around and, and be difficult for us to, uh, us to work with? I mentioned earlier that I commanded Coningsby in, uh, in Lincolnshire with Typhoon. When I went there, I mean, I've, I'd spent up to that point. My entire career in the Grand attack world, in one form or another, either in reconnaissance or or attack flying, or as I mentioned earlier on, the the nuclear role at the very beginning, I'd never done any air defense. I'd never been in the fighter game, if you like, looking to actively go and prosecute and shoot down other airplanes. Working with a radar was completely alien to me. It was something I'd not had because the Jaguar doesn't have one. Uh, sure, I'd have one when I did an exchange tour with the Phantom, but two-seat airplane, go in the back, did all the radar stuff and it wasn't a big thing for uh, for the pilot in the front to uh, to be involved with but now I'm in a typhoon when we started flying it you know I had to learn how to use a radar and I have to say that was a real big imposter syndrome moment for me where I'm I'm working to go I'm in I'm in a, in a critical leadership position here uh, I'm leading this team I'm pushing the Typhoon envelope in terms of being the force commander, the the guy that is responsible for the development of this particular force for a capability in the Air Force. And I'm doing it with an airplane I've never flown before, in a role I've never exercised before, with people that, by and large, I hadn't worked with before. And it was tough. It was definitely tough. And I think at that point, having the self-awareness to be open to feedback to being very uh clear that you don't know stuff that you probably might have been expected to know if you'd come from a different background etc is hugely hugely helpful because if you can turn around and play those cards at that point then you'll get a lot of credit for it and people will will give you the recognition that you're looking for support they'll provide you that support they're looking to be helpful by and large people are always looking to be helpful it's very very rare i've found people trying to trip me up in those kind of positions I'm not saying it never happens, but it is pretty unusual. And so you do need to think about how you're going to handle those kind of challenges and just make yourself open, be self-aware enough to be open to uh, all of the, the kind of challenges that that brings. I hope that's helpful. I think I wanted to talk about this because I think building credibility, not least for that, why you should listen to me thing, I think is important. You know, I want you to listen to me for the right reasons. I want you to listen to me because you think that I actually have some stuff that might actually be useful to you. And uh, certainly I hope that's the case when I bring guests on, because I'm sure that what they're going to have will be very useful to you. And teasing that out and and getting to a point where you've spent half an hour or or whatever time we're we're on on the podcast listening to the session, I want you to come away with it feeling like, okay, that was beneficial. Hence covering those three topics today. I I think we'll probably end up returning to, uh, to some of them in due time. But the sort of final word is on, on this dealing with the kind of package together around credibility and, and, and self-awareness and imposter syndrome is, I think it's important to recognize when you're in a leadership role that invariably you have been put there or you have put yourself there. If it's your own company and you're developing it because you deserve to be there. People have put you in a leadership role, by and large, if they promoted you in an organisation, because they know you have what it takes. They know you have the skills and therefore they are going to turn around and make sure that you do everything they can to uh, to help you succeed. Because it's not in their interest not to do that. So people underneath you, at your peer group level and above you, by and large, are always looking for you to succeed it's not something i think people generally think about as much as they might do so i hope that's useful i'm going to stop there because i think that's enough for uh, for this particular week's session i really really hope that it's been useful to you uh, once again i'm incredibly grateful for you uh, for you listening if you're still listening by this point that's a real plus from uh, from my point of view i'm hoping i've taken on board some of the feedback that that i did get in terms of both content and delivery and and other such things uh, I'm sure you'll tell me if I uh, if I have or if I haven't. And once again, I just appeal to you, if you like this, to subscribe and, uh, and review it, please, because that really helps. And if I can boost the podcast up the ratings, then I will be absolutely delighted and I'll be extremely grateful to you. So for now, thanks very much indeed. Episode three will be coming up in a week's time. Uh, and I hope that uh, you're going to be champing at the bit looking forward to it. <laughs> thanks very much for listening. Bye bye.